In the Bible, there's lots of talks of altars, like we just talked about. There's lots of animal sacrifices, like we were reading about last week. What are we to make of them? Are they embarrassing bits in the Bible, which you would sooner turn the pages quickly over if you were trying to describe Christianity to somebody today? Or are they, in fact, a crucial plank in the story that God was writing, which would get all the way to Jesus Christ our Lord? My friends, I'm going to try and preach to you today's six chapters of the Bible. Uh, I'm going to try and cover Leviticus 2 to 7. And I think of it a bit like a helicopter ride. If you can imagine the the tabernacle, if you know your Bible, there's this tabernacle complex. I'll show you a picture in a minute. But I feel a bit like I'm I'm trying to fly a helicopter low over the tabernacle. I'm trying to point out bits to you. I can't show you everything from six chapters, but I'm going to try and give you a sort of whistle-stop tour. And I... uh, I fear I may have, may have bitten off more than you can chew. But I believe in the Holy Spirit and, and I believe God's word is clear and we are going to end up talking about Jesus Christ, which I'm very excited about. Um, I feel the weight of it this morning, so I've actually asked Pete if he would pray, mainly for me, but also for all of us as we, as we listen. Would you mind doing that, Pete? Yeah, sure. Uh, tricky chapters in the Bible so please be with us this morning please be with Pete help him to speak um, well and confidently from your word help him by your spirit to uh, speak faithfully and help us by your spirit to learn and grow more not just to learn lots of new facts uh, but to grow in our knowledge of you uh, and of uh, how we can be more like Jesus each day so please be with us and help us we pray Amen Amen Thank you So we'll begin in Leviticus chapter 2. That's on page 102 in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. I'm not going to read every word from six chapters of the Bible. Rather, what I'm intend to do is I'm broadly going to read from every time you get a heading and usually a chapter number, I'm going to try and read a representative part from there. So it's on your sheet if you like. I'll tell you as we go. Firstly, Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. When anyone brings... A grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. They are to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, is a most holy part of the food offerings presented to the Lord. Skip over to Leviticus 3, verses 1 to 5. If your offering is a fellowship offering and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present before the Lord an animal without defect. You are to lay your hand on the head of your offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash the blood against the sides of the altar. From the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. The internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head 
and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. Chapter 5, 14 to 16. The Lord said to Moses, When anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. They must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things, pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering and they will be forgiven. Finally, from Leviticus chapter 7, 37 to 38. These then are the regulations for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship offering, which the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai in the desert of Sinai on the day he commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And there is a beautiful New Testament reading today, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. You may like to just keep hold of Leviticus. But Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31, page 1130. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm told that if you go on safari in Africa, there's a big five. Five animals that everyone kind of wants to see and get a photograph of. Um, Let me see if I can do it without looking at my notes. Uh, A lion, an elephant, rhino, leopard, buffalo. I get that right? Anybody? Okay. Looking at South Africans in particular in the congregation. Very good. Uh, in the old days, they were the ones you wanted to hunt and kill and bring back a trophy about. But these days, thankfully, times have changed. You just want a photograph of them. 
In Leviticus, in the opening chapters, there's a big five. There are, there are five sacrifices that are described straight off the bat in chapters one to seven. And God wants you to know about them. They, they are the big five in the Old Testament tabernacle. Burnt, grain, fellowship, sin, guilt offerings. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the burnt offering. We also have a podcast, so if you did miss last week, you can, you can listen to that back uh, so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the remaining four in the big five. So last week, you could think of, of it as being broken in gently, and now I'm just going to go for it. Okay. Uh, it's a bit like being on, refari, uh, on safari, because it comes as a relief that you are not required to hunt and kill any animals. There will be no bloodshed, but we are going to take them in, take photographs, as it were. We're going to behold them and, and see what the Lord has in mind as we observe them in their natural habitat. Because this is rather complicated and rather familiar to many of us, I've put an outline on your sermon sheet. So if you want to dig that out, it says sermon notes on it. And I've put an outline of the book of Leviticus. Can you see there, it says Leviticus 1 to 7, five ritual offerings, then I've I've listed them there. And can you see there are also two cycles. So if you get to chapter 6, you actually get another taste of each of the big five because Leviticus cycles around again. Seems like that is... The first cycle was for the lay people and the second cycle is for the priest. So there's just a bit more info. If, if you were like an Old Testament priest, here's how you're going to handle the animal and what, what you're supposed to do. But two cycles, both of the big five. Have you seen the film Karate Kid? Anybody? Yeah, or heard of it? So famous film, they remade it recently. So my kids now know about Karate Kid as well. And uh, famously, there's this boy who's getting bullied at school and he wants to learn karate so he can fight off the bullies and he meets the amazing Mr. Miyagi who knows karate and he's like mega cool old guy who's tougher than he looks and um, he says I'll teach you, teach you karate Daniel so Daniel gets all excited but Mr. Miyagi for weeks he, Mr. Miyagi has him just doing manual chores so he's supposed to paint the fence and he says just, just do this for a whole day and he gets him painting his garden fence. And the boy's thinking, what? Yeah, yeah, and, and sand the deck. So he has to get down on all fours, sanding the deck of Mr. Miyagi's garden. And Daniel, Daniel's thinking, what is this? And he says famously, just, would you wax my car? So wax on and then wax off. And all day, Daniel's doing this on Mr. Miyagi's 1950s car. And eventually he loses his rag and says, what is all this about? You're just treating me like slave labor. And Mr. Miyagi says, this is kind of the, the genius in Karate Kid, if you can master the moves, if you can learn the moves, then when it gets to the big fight and you're facing a tough guy, it will just be second nature to you. You'll just know exactly what to do. You can tell I know nothing about karate, but yeah, that's the premise um, of the film. And sure enough, you get to the final scene and ah, he knows what to do. It's just reflex. I think of it like that with the Old Testament, right? Why, why is there all this repetition going? Why, why so many different sacrifices? And it all, they all sound a bit the same. I can barely tell the difference. Well, if it helps, think of it a bit like Karate Kid. You know, God was teaching his people, to do this stuff. It is going to make sense one day. We're going to get to this big climax scene. I'm going to send you this great big sacrifice of atonement. You're going to understand. It's going to be amazing. But if, if you haven't taken the trouble to master the moves, it, it, it will seem weird and frustrating to you. So that's what we're doing today. We're going, we're, it's a bit like we're painting the fence or waxing on and waxing off. There's a, a picture on your sheet. Can you see that? 
uh, tried to print it out. Many thanks to Benny in, in the church for producing this. Um, and this is an illustration, a plan view of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. We're gonna, I'm not going to go through this in detail now, but it's there to give you a flavor of it. And um, we'll come back to this throughout Leviticus. We said last week, it's a bit like living with the sun. And uh, if you're living with the sun, there's amazing energy. You can really charge your solar panels if you live with the sun, but it's incredibly dangerous. So the people needed to be hyper careful. There is a summary at the end of our time today. So chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, which, which we read out, that is like a, 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 an oral summary for someone who is listening. Remember, if you were an ancient Israelite, you had no Bible of your own. There was like one precious scroll that they might have had in the community. They had no chapter divisions. They came centuries later. So your way of understanding when the section was finished was to have this sort of uh, recap summary. So that's what you get. Chapter 7. These then are the burnt offerings. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. Can you see it's, it's sounding like a summary? And he goes through them all. The burnt offering, grain offering, sin offering, guilt offering, ordination offering, and fellowship offering, which the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai in the desert of Sinai on the day he commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings to the Lord. Do you get the idea? The repeated word, offerings. It's all about offerings, these chapters. And you've got the big five there. You also have mention of an ordination offering, which gets a little uh, appearance in chapter six, but it's, it's not one of the big five, so I'm not going to talk about it today. Right. I've tried to list out the four, the four sacrifices, and I'm going to try and say something about each of these. If I put that there, can you see that? Okay. The grain offering, chapter two. The fellowship offering, chapter three. The sin offering, chapters four and five. And the guilt offering, chapters five and six. That's my plan. Firstly, let's start by talking about the grain offering. I believe this is there to teach us that God is a king to pay tribute to. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. Can you tell this is literally a, a poor man's offering? I mean, if I ask you, which costs you more at the supermarket, a bag of flour or a leg of lamb? What's the answer? A bag of flour is cheaper, right? So it is cheaper to offer a grain offering if you're an ancient Israelite. You can bring uncooked flour and you can just say, that's my... A gift to the Lord. And that was encouraged. It was good. It's why it's a very inclusive book, Leviticus. The word grain offering, um, it is literally gift in Hebrew, which can mean tribute. So in the ancient world, you could pay tribute to a king. It was a way of saying, I get it. You're the boss of me. Yeah, you, you have the right to rule over me. And this is a way of saying to God, I get it. You're the, you're the boss. You're the king. I gladly bring you my, my tribute, my gift, my grain offering. It wasn't compulsory. A small amount of it got burned as a memorial offering, but it says in chapter 6, most of it was eaten by the priests as their perpetual share. The Levites, the priests, they, they didn't have a job except for working for the Lord, so they, they have no farm. They can't go out to work nine to five like everybody else. So bringing this was, was also a way of just saying, look, I want to keep this going by honoring these guys. And for that reason, I think this, this offering finds its most natural New Testament expression when the church gave gifts. Remember those examples in the New Testament? Jesus and Paul talked about not muzzling the ox while it's treading out the grain and said this is actually about giving. When people give freely because they love God and want to see his word spread, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a gift. 
Paul talks about in Philippians 4, your gift, your financial gift, Philippians, is like a fragrant offering and there's this incense altar to do with this one, which is, it literally would have smelt nice. And still today, it's very beautiful when people, Christians are moved to give to any Christian worker who's set aside for God's work. I personally feel very, very grateful to those of you who give to this church so that I don't have to go and do an office job to eat. We'll say more about priests next week, but okay, for now, that's all I've got time for on the grain offering. That is uh, saying that God is a king to pay tribute to. Secondly, chapter three, the fellowship offering tells us that God is a host to feast with. Chapter three, verse three, from the fellowship offering, you are to bring a food offering to the Lord. The internal organs and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It's getting, it's getting pretty gory now. We're dealing with blood and with cutting bits of the animal up. I said last week, um, I, love a, I love a prop and I love, to, I love to show you something if I can. And last week, I was stumped uh, because I couldn't set fire to anything safely when we were dealing with the burnt offering. This week again, I'm stumped by Leviticus because I'm, I'm thinking, well, I ha- blood, blood would be the prop, but how do I do that? <laughs> so uh, you, you got me again. Um, I, 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 I can't do it without, how can I shed any blood? But here we are, it, it's gory. I think the fat, you notice there's lots of talk about fat and kidneys and liver. I believe that's because fat was prized in the ancient world not, not like today, you know, um, if something's fat today, we tend to think negatively on it. In the ancient world, wow, you are, you are healthy, you are ample. So if you had plump grapes, or if you had uh, fat lambs, or if you had chubby kids, oh, brilliant, yeah, yeah, this is a sign of God's favour. And kidneys and liver, well, that, they were believed to be like the deepest part of you. It's kind of like the deepest organ you can get to without getting to the mucky organs, you know, the, the intestines and stuff. So that, when they're saying, can you bring me the kidneys and the liver, I think it's because they're saying, bring the, bring the real important parts. If we had to pick an, an organ that represented someone most centrally, I'd probably pick the brain or the heart. But in those days, they probably would have picked the kidneys or the liver. I think that's what's going on there. And the fellowship offering, it can't be offered alone. See how it got burnt on top of the burnt offering. So you can't just bring a fellowship offering. It can't, it can't fly solo. That's because it, it's got to have atonement, as we'll see in a moment. L- little, in that way, a little bit like stuffing at a roast dinner. You, you probably wouldn't get a meal just of stuffing. You'd, you'd get stuffing that went along with some roast meat. I might be stretching it a little bit far. But I said God is a host to feast with, and that's because the fellowship offering is to be shared. It's to be shared. God, God, you are the host who makes all this possible. And there's people all around me who are worshipping too. Chapter 7 tells us that the fellowship offering must be eaten on the day it is offered. So you, could, you might bring a bull, kill it, and then you've got to eat it that day. I mean, who does that? Can anybody eat a bull, a whole bull in a day? There's so much meat on a, on a bull. You could bring a small animal like a goat, but who, nobody can eat a goat in a day. I mean, so what that means is they were looking around and saying, hey, like, anybody? <laughs> Friends, family, I've just made a fellowship offering. Anyone who wants some, come, come, we're going to have a feast. And meat was a luxury in those days, you know, so if, if you slaughtered an animal, that was a real big deal. So this is, this is a feast that we're talking about. 
I think probably they would, have, they would have fed themselves, their friends, their family, they would have given some to the priests, and then they probably would have looked around and said, does anybody look a little bit hungry around here? Because I've got tons of meat to give away and it needs to go. Occasionally you're allowed to save it till the next day in certain cases, but, but not the third day. I think this finds the most natural expression in the New Testament in the Lord's Supper. So there is this meal that Christians have, it's, it's that fellowship meal. And when we share communion or the Lord's Supper together, it's this beautiful thing where everybody's supposed to partake, we're supposed to look around, and say, is it, has everyone had some? Is anyone missing out here? We're all worshipping the Lord together. And it's this big banquet. Often in the early church, it wouldn't just be a little, little itty-bitty bit of bread, but they would have really gone to town with it. And it is so encouraging today. If you've never had the experience of looking up in communion, can I just encourage you to do that? We'll do it again in a few weeks' time. But you know, it's good to pray, and sometimes people look down when they pray, but look, look up, because you have the experience of seeing all these different people walk up and receive from the same table as you. And you end up thinking, wow, they also share in the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. So that's the fellowship offering. God is a host to feast with. Third one we're dealing with today, chapters four and five, the sin offering. God requires blood to make atonement. In chapter four, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, and then he goes on to give various illustrations like, do this if the priest sins, do this if the whole community sins, do this if a member of the community sins. And I find it salutary, striking, that in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it's still talking about the sin offering, and it says, let me give you some examples of sins. If you don't speak up when you should have done, I need to talk to you, and you need to bring a sin offering. I find that amazing. I, wow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked, I might have gone to say one of the Ten Commandments, which is already new. I, I don't think I would have picked that one. You should have spoken up about justice and you didn't do it. Or it talks about touching human uncleanness. Again, I don't think I would have picked that one out if you touch something dead or unclean, but that's what the Lord wanted them to realize. If you've sinned, you have to bring a sin offering. Yeah, we talked about the big five African animals. Um, this is a little bit prejudicial, right? But I, in my mind, there are, there's kind of a big two within the big five. If I went on safari, I'd want to see a lion, and I'd want to see an elephant. Okay, you could, I could kind of leave the buffalo if I had to. But in, in a similar vein, you know, out of the big five we're dealing with, the sin offering and also the burnt offering from last week. They're the big ones. They're, they're, they're the biggest two that are there. And like we saw last week, they, they're the two that get mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10. Maybe I'm too soft as a city dweller, but can you imagine leading a, a live animal up to the tent of meeting laying a hand on its head That's, that seems to be it's not explained but it seems to be something about transferring identity So you, you lay a hand on its head the offerer and then you kill it not, not the priest, it's you so you bring a knife, they hand you a knife and you drain all the blood out of it I mean, it's, it's visceral, visceral and vivid and gory and it makes me think this is designed to be imprinted on the Israelite memory. God was wanting his people to understand something through this very, very gory ritual, and he repeats it again 
and again and again. Let me give you a few examples. Chapter 4, verse 19. Chapter 4, 19. He shall remove all the fat from it and burn it on the altar and do this, do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the, pra- the priest will make, what does it say? Atonement, yeah, for the community and they will be forgiven. Verse 26, chapter 4, verse 26. He shall burn all the fat on the altar as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make what? Atonement. Is the same word? For the leader's sin and he will be forgiven. Chapter 4, verse 31. They shall remove all the fat just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make what? Atonement. Do you get the idea? I could go on. There are seven examples in, in this section about the sin offering when God says the, you will make atonement and be forgiven if you bring this offering. The simplest meaning for atonement is to, to cover over. I mean, it's a, it's a huge Bible word, but simply. So it's like God is saying, if you bring another life, and you drain out its blood, and that thing dies, instead of you, the sinner, I will cover over your offense. I will bury your sin under that blood of, of that animal. Because it's your life instead of, um, it's its life instead of yours. And this might seem bonkers to you, right? Because it's not a very Western idea, I don't think. But I was helped by um, Tim Keller, who, who um, sadly died recently. But he points out that all love is sacrificial. A really helpful thought for me. So all love is sacrificial. So let me give you an example. If, you're, if you get a parent and they want to give their child a good start as they get older, parent might save up some money and they might forego some stuff to put some money aside maybe for university or, or moving out or, or wedding or whatever it might be. And that is a sacrificial thing for them to do, right? They forego stuff that they could have bought in the here and now to provide for child. Or you might get a, a mother who continually cleans up dirty clothes from members of her family. So, mm, you know, I'm going to... Okay, I'll I'll do it again. I'll clean up that thing. I'll do the laundry. I'll hang it out to dry. I'll put it back. She does that again and again. again. That's sacrificial. That's time she could have spent on the sofa that she chooses to spend doing laundry over and over and over again. I could go on, but if you love somebody, you sacrifice for them. That's, That's a basic expression of love. And God is getting Israel to learn the moves, like in Karate Kid. Making atonement for sin requires sacrifice. In fact, because it's the most important thing in the universe, you've, you've offended against God, it requires the most precious thing on planet Earth, which is blood. I can't actually think of anything more, more precious than the blood in your veins. And we'll talk more about that in, in the coming weeks, particularly chapter 16 and 17. The sin offering finds its expression all over the New Testament, so I had a hard time choosing one, but I chose Romans 3. And it says in Romans 3, verse 25, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. There's that word again, through the shedding of his blood. So Jesus is the sin offering, the crowning one. And it's the word that uh, the Apostle Paul reaches for when he wants to climb to the top of Mount Everest and outline the gospel for people. We'll come back to Romans 3 in a moment. Can I just say about the sin offering... 
Um, I don't know. Hmm. I've been wondering where you are in the room today. Okay, so it, it may be that there are some of you that love theology. Okay, you may love doctrine, and you may know all about atonement, penal substitution, and blood sacrifice in the Bible. If that is you, I thank God for you. I kind of want you to notice the first two today. I want you to notice the grain offering and the fellowship offering because they don't mention uh, atonement. Neither of those mention atonement. There is more to Christianity than just the sacrificial blood. And I think there is a sort of Christianity which can be so keen on penal substitution and atonement, so keen on the swap, that it actually begins to ignore everything else. So I sort of want to say to you, it's the center of the dartboard. You can't do without it. You have to have atonement. But there is also feasting and there's also voluntary giving and there's, there's, there's all sorts of other things in the Bible that God chooses to put in there. However, there, it may be that you, because you're proud like me, need convincing that sin is as serious as God says it is. And if that's the case, I really do want you to focus on the sin offering and also on the guilt offering, which we'll get to in a moment. But you have to focus on atonement. I mean, it is so central to everything. Atonement really is the day of atonement. It's central to the book of Leviticus, and we haven't even got there yet. So you have to have this. God was teaching his people to go through the moves so that when the final atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ, appeared, they'd go, oh, it's the center of all. I mean, it's, it's Good Friday. It's the death of the Messiah. Oh, wow. And so you have to have it. Some, some churchgoers are very shy about atonement. They don't like talking about it. They don't like the idea of God needing a blood substitute to pay for sin. They don't like words like propitiation or, or sacrifice. But it, it's here, isn't it? I just, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to show you, lay it out for you. It's not only in Leviticus, like some Old Testament thing that you could reasonably forget. It's in the Gospels. The crowning moment. The death of Jesus Christ. It's there. I mean... Romans 3, 21 to, 20 to 31, that is like the high point in the argument of the book of Romans. So it's right there in the center of that paragraph. And it's also in the Lord's Supper. So every time we gather to have the Christian meal, we hand you a little vial of red stuff and we say, this represents the blood of Christ. So you just, you can't get away from it. And why would you want to? Because it symbolizes, as we say in the Lord's Supper, the perpetual memory of his precious death, the full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice, oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. It's just it's very hard to be proud and also have someone else pay for your sin. So there we go. There's our sin offering. Fourthly, finally, the guilt offering. God requires a debt to be paid. This is Leviticus 5 and 6. The Lord said to Moses, this is chapter 5 verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, when anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, they are to bring to the Lord... As a penalty, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. Guilt offering. They must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things. Pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it all to the priest. The priest will make atonement for them with the ram as a guilt offering and they will be forgiven. There's some overlap here, so you recognize, okay, there's some elements I recognize now. There's the atonement stuff, there's the bringing of an animal, there's the giving some to the priest. But it also mentions something new, which is restitution. And that means putting it right, paying to put it right. 
The rest of the chapters give some examples, like if you deceive a neighbor, if you cheat a neighbor, then you are to pay back everything you cheated out of, out of them, out, out them, you know what I mean, and 20%. So you end up paying, paying 120% for the, for the thing that you took off them. This is emphasizing the damaging effects of sin on others. So sin is, is not just about me and God. It also just screws up other people's lives on the horizontal plane. So if I've sinned, I need to think about that as well. The guilt offering is actually mentioned in Isaiah 53.10 in a very famous verse about Jesus being the sacrificial offering. And it finds a beautiful New Testament expression in a man, a little man called Zacchaeus. Do you remember him? You know the Bible? Short man who climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. He was a tax collector. He cheated and swindled a lot of people. And you may remember the little ending of the story. He says he's so pleased to have met Jesus and be accepted. He says, Lord, if I've cheated anybody out of everything, anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Leviticus said pay back 1.2 times the amount. And Zacchaeus says, oh, I know that. I'm just going to pay back 400% of the amount because I'm so pleased that um, I've met Jesus Christ and been forgiven and accepted. One commentator on Leviticus says, you know, sometimes church worshippers might think that with their singing and their praying at church, they can conjure up the presence of God. And sometimes, if, if they've been involved in something that's damaged other people, it would be better for them just to leave church, pay their bills, apologize to their friends, repair the bridges they've burned, and make practical amends for any cheating they might have been engaged in. So the guilt offering uh, showed that God required a debt to be paid. Let's try and land this helicopter, shall we? Um, what, what do you do with all these sacrifices? Well, would you turn with me one more time? Just Romans chapter 3, page 1212, I believe. Romans 3. And the great news is here, we are, we're not going to leave church spattered with the blood and gore of animals. We're Christians, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So you see the logic of this amazing paragraph? Verse 21, the law, that's the first five books of the Bible, which we're in, and the prophets testified to the righteousness, and you might say the holiness of God. They, they set up this amazing, holy, unapproachable God. Verse 23, that's actually a great leveller because nobody can come before God. We, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. Verse 25, God presented Christ as this sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Verse 26, God did that to show that sin must be punished and every wrong must be righted. He wasn't just going to leave it. And verse 27, and this is, this is what I'll leave you with. So don't boast. Don't boast going around thinking you're the big deal in spiritual terms because you, like everybody else, needed a sacrifice of atonement. If the, if the only thing that kept you from being swallowed up and incinerated by God was the blood of a little goat, I think that would be a pretty humbling way to walk away from the tent of meeting. And if the only thing that has kept you from being swallowed up by God's holiness is the blood of Christ, that too is a very humbling, levelling thing. So I think of it like this, cling, don't boast. 
We sang that hymn at the beginning, Rock of Ages, and it says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Don't try and bring a sin offering or a guilt offering to God. That would be an offense. Jesus has already spent his own blood and you can't improve it. So keep clinging to that old rugged cross for the rest of your life. We, we sang that great song. I've kind of been waiting ever since Joel suggested this, Oh, Come to the Altar. Do you remember that? It was like three years ago or something. And, I, and I, I've been waiting till we could talk about altars. I, I don't call this an altar. Please, if you can help it, don't, don't call that an altar. That's a table, right? That is a table, a dining table around which we gather for the Lord's Supper. The Church of England never calls it an altar in its official services because it knows it's not. It's a table around which we gather. And until the, like 1900, they didn't even let you build table, um, communion tables out of stone. You had to build them out of wood so you could just move it like you would your own table at home. But we come to an altar, which is not that one. We come to the cross. We, we come to the death of Jesus Christ spiritually. And we say, Lord, you've splashed the blood all around that altar. And that's the reason I can come and be accepted by you. So cling to that and, and don't boast. How, how can you boast when it should have been you? Let's never set up a kind of Christianity which has two tiers in it of any sort. Some churches do this between the clergy and everybody else and they sort of set up, they're like the super Christians and then there's the rest of you. We don't do that because we all need a sacrifice of atonement. Some churches do it with the musicians so there's the really talented guys who like rock out and they're really, really great and then there's everybody else. We don't do that because there's one tier of Christianity. Some churches do it with eldership or with speaking in tongues or you might be able to think of some other way that you've seen. But no, please, no two tears because we all come to the altar, to Jesus Christ. Anything else is a path to boasting, I think. And what you get if you can do that is, is a very inclusive Christianity. It's a wonderful way for everybody to be able to come. Everybody's appropriately humbled, but everybody's welcome. That's a, that's a real biblical inclusivity for the church. Time has well and truly gone. I knew, I knew it would. Um, there you go. A little, a little safari. Uh, the big five in biblical terms. Let's pray together. Father, we're amazed today to come to the true altar. The one that really does have the blood of a sacrificial lamb splashed around it so, but we come again trembling humbled grateful for Jesus Christ our Lord Father we, we don't bring anything in our hands we just want to cling to that a bit tighter a bit more we want, to, we want to love Jesus all the more the sacrifice of atonement please teach us the moves as we read through the Old Testament and we learn what you were building up to all along and we do pray Father that you wouldn't make us people who boast but who cling In Jesus' sacrificial, cleansing, bloodshedding name we pray. Amen.